Welcome to this episode of Sarah Shady Public Philosopher. I am joined in the studio today with a podcast favorite, Chris Moore, who you likely know from Election Shock Therapy and the 252. And as always, our expert producer, Sam Mulberry, is on air with us today. Uh, I counted a little bit ago, and it has been 107 days since I cut my spring break vacation short and went into life under pandemic. So uh, you may have listened to um, Sam and I talk about the plague a few months ago, right? It seems like years ago, but here we are 107 days later, COVID still uh, um, uh, around, um, still living in a global pandemic. And I, in the last week, had a fan email from our own podcast favorite, Chris Moore, <laughs> related to the topic of COVID. Chris, uh, why don't you share your question or your email? Yeah, like Sarah, like you, and hi, guys. Uh, I had um, about 110 days or so of, of uh, quarantine life now, and the snow has melted, the trees have, have bloomed, and the the air is now hot and humid, and yet we're still in this kind of weird nether region of um, not doing some of the things we typically do and not going to some of the places we typically go and uh, mask wearing when we do go out in limited fashion. And so life is very different these days. But for me, then, that raises a set of ethical questions. And I thought, who better to ask ethical questions of than Sarah Shady, public philosopher? So I'm coming into your uh, film noir office here um, as the damsel in distress. I need some ethical guidance, please. And and here and um, we'll start with this. Uh, when is it okay for me to get a haircut? You see, oh, go ahead. No, I think that's great. And, and you know, Oprah, if you're listening, remember, as Chris said, I am the place to go for all ethical questions concerning public matters. Exactly. Uh, which is how this podcast started with my... I just, I just need to point out that when you addressed Oprah, you actually leaned into your computer a little more just to make sure that she just could hear you. Hit the point, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and when I read Chris's email about the ethics of haircuts, it was... It's a great question, because on the one hand, it seems a little bit inconsequential. It's not like, can I go in to get, have bypass surgery under a pandemic, right. right? It's not a necessity. And yet, it's also not a pure luxury, because it is part of personal grooming and affects our levels of comfort and those sorts of things. And so while it might seem inconsequential, and yes, we could all go for years without a haircut if we had to, I think it is a really important question for opening up a whole host of ethical issues. Exactly. Because there's lots of things that I'm not doing right now that I'd like to do of varying levels of convenience and discomfort. Like it's hot right now. Nothing. My kids would like nothing better than for me to take them to uh, the splash pad in Maple Grove and have a kind of, might be in the middle of a community of people uh, splashing in some fountains. I don't think that's a great idea from a public health perspective. So even if they want to do it, I'm not going to do it. Haircuts, another kind of thing. Going to the dentist for a dental cleaning, if, I, if I'm not in active pain in my mouth, like there, there's escalating levels of what's appropriate here. And I, I, I could really use some guidance on when it's appropriate 
in a, in a pandemic atmosphere to engage in some of these activities? Yeah, and it's such an interesting question. You know, when we think about ethics at the community level, the standard approach is utilitarian. And so that's the idea that something is, is, is good if it maximizes more benefit than harm overall, and it's bad if it creates more harm than good. And you have to take quality of good and harm, pleasure and pain, into account as well. So the pleasure of a hundred people getting a haircut is that, you know, how many people <laughs> it, it would die to justify, you know, to, to say that's, you know, so I'm sorry, I'm stumbling over my words here. Oprah, don't listen to that part. <laughs> right. Someone's life or death is qualitatively more valuable than getting a haircut. And so we tend to think, all right, um, that weighs more heavily. And so maybe I'm gonna put uh, the community public health good above that by trying to not spread COVID to myself or to others, because that's qualitatively more important than getting a haircut. Mm -hmm. And on the one hand, that that makes a lot of sense. What's complicated about utilitarianism is you're supposed to take into account all of the possible impacts of harm and uh, and benefit for all of the people affected as far into the future as you can predict. <laughs> and so it's complicated really fast, right? Because once we start to think about um, the economic issues of shutting things down for the public good. And we tend to, for good reasons, want to say, well, economic issues aren't as important as life or death, hence we had stay at home Minnesota. And yet, if you um, have a depressed economy for a long time into the future, you are going to create a whole other host of ethical problems uh, including health-related ones. So thinking about the economics of allowing hair salons to open mm -hmm. or not can figure in as an ethical issue. Um, mental health can figure in as an ethical issue. You know, so weighing, for example, the joy of playing at the splash pad versus <laughs> the danger, right? Which again, in that one example, you can say, well, right, it's worth it to sacrifice the joy of the splash pad because we can have other fun at home or turn the sprinkler on in the backyard. But sort of over time for the, you know, mental health also starts to carry weight as an ethical issue. So that, and, and this is true anytime you try to um, apply utilitarianism to anything, it seems easy on the surface and then it gets really messy really fast. And so you'll will often on most issues find two utilitarians taking opposite approaches or finding opposite solutions to the problem. And I think one of the interesting things about Chris's question, um, because it's, it was not, um, should we open up uh, hair salons and barber shops? I don't know, Chris. Do you go to a salon or a barber shop? Barber. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's it, your question wasn't should we open them up? It's they are open. Should I go? Um, because as I as we've sort of gone through this, it's interesting to think about. You know, we see changes in sort of CDC guidelines or Minnesota Department of Health guidelines of what is deemed acceptable and not acceptable, but then how do we look at those guidelines? If they, I don't even know currently where they're at, but if they say, well, you can have a group of 
10 people as long as X, Y, and Z, does that mean we should be with 10 people as often as, as we want? Or does that mean, well, that's the outer limit that's acceptable, but we shouldn't be doing that a lot. Like you, cause you can read that in, in multiple ways. And I think that's, um, that's definitely a, a piece of this. So it's one thing to say, we're going to allow these businesses to open. It's another thing to say as, and I think this is maybe where Chris's question was going a little bit too, is like, if I want to be a good citizen, how much should I live to the allowable extent and how, or how much should I be curbing the things that, you know, the, the, the things that I'm doing, even if they fit within the, the guidelines given to us. And what are the things, what are the ethics uh, put into those guidelines? Because there's also politics in those guidelines, which is helpful to have a political scientist here too. I mean, there's politics to saying, man, it would be really good if we could say, we can start opening some business back businesses back up. There's economics, but there's also there's also politics, especially in an election year. Exactly. And so from an ethical perspective, I think one of the things that's pulled out in that part of the discussion is to what degree should law or policy form our ethical standard? And law and ethics are not um, equivalent, right? So we have lots of laws, um, so lots of things that are legal that we may not find ethical. Like adultery would be a common example of something that's legal to do in the US, but most people would find unethical. Similarly, we might have things that are um, illegal that people might not find unethical. When I used to teach at the University of South Carolina, smoking pot was always the first example students brought for that, right? It's illegal, but what's wrong with it, right? So mm -hmm. again, we're going to differ on our standard of when law and ethics match up and when they don't. But I think this is a really interesting question in terms of ethically is more expected of us under a pandemic than what the legal policy guidelines currently allow us to do. So here's my issue. And so I feel like I'm I'm not I'm not square one anymore, but I'm I'm now only up to like oval four or something like that. Because I recognize that I do not have the mental capacity to effectively come up with a proper utilitarian equation for this answer. And that's really troubling because all I'm talking about is a stinking haircut. Um, and yet I can't predict how much additional contagion vector I'm going to add to the community health system by going to visit my barber. I also can't uh, calculate how much my individual uh, payment for my haircut is going to affect his ability to remain uh, in his livelihood or not, or the, the or the or the economy more generally. So I don't, I can't calculate those uh, really complex probabilistic assessments. So I can't even apply utilitarianism to my own choice, much less any kind of community health choice. So I are there other standards besides utilitarianism that I could use to, to guide my ethical behavior? Right, because otherwise you're stuck in kind of ethical paralysis, right? right. Like, yeah. Which probably means I end up doing what I, why would I want to do in the end anyway and justifying it by whatever utilitarian means I can come up with. Yes, exactly. And that's actually one of the criticisms of utilitarianism is that we tend to run the calculation in the way that gets us the end we want it to have, right? We're really good at knowing how to do that. And so one of the main distinctions that we make in ethics is between 
action-based systems and character-based systems. So okay. utilitarianism is an action-based system, wanting to know like what is it right or wrong to do in this particular you know moment? Is this action right or wrong? How do I classify that? Um, there are other systems like egoism. I will always act in my own self-interest. So <laughs> I'm going to do what I want to do. Seems like there's a lot of people doing that these days. Exactly, right? And that's also an act base that's going to say, well, what the right thing for me to do in this particular situation is what maximizes my own self-interest. Um, okay. Kantian ethics figures in there. That's where you're trying to figure out um, act in such a way that treats others as an end in themselves, mm -hmm. never merely as a means and can be rooted in rational decision making. But again, you're thinking in any particular moment, is it okay to get a haircut or not? Is it okay to go to a restaurant or not? Is it okay to go to the splash pad or not? Okay, so character-based ethical systems would be um, virtue ethics, of which Aristotle is most famous, is, is probably one of the best examples of that. And Aristotle, a good way of thinking about this is Aristotle says, just as one swallow or bird does not make a summer, one act does not make a person. So rather than trying to figure out what is the exact right thing for me to do in this situation, if I focus a step beyond that in terms of how do I become a good person, if I'm focused on being a virtuous person, more often than not, I'm gonna choose a good action. And so there's more flexibility in a virtue-based system because two good people could have different actions mm -hmm. <laughs> um, in the same situation. And that doesn't necessarily call into question their overall status as an ethical person or as a virtuous person. It also allows that sometimes I'm going to make the wrong choice. Um, and that, yeah. you know, that's human. So when we're thinking about pandemics um, in that, from that perspective, then we start thinking about virtues like um, benevolence, how much am I going to care about the other instead of myself? That's an important virtue to cultivate. I might be thinking about generosity um, in terms of um, what I'm willing to give or sacrifice for others. Courage is a really important virtue in terms of pandemic. Um, and that can look in different ways. That could be the, the courage to do hard things. It could be courage over fear of how I or my family might be impacted by the virus. So um, patience is an important thing, <laughs> right? As we are on day 107 of this. So it's more thinking about how do I cultivate these traits in my life? And that's going to help me be a person who can live well amidst a pandemic. Again, it doesn't tell you though, whether or not I should get a haircut because it's, it's not asking the question that specifically. Okay, and so I, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm not, I don't think like a philosopher and so I'm, I'm gonna get in trouble here, but as as a um, as a Christian who also you know perhaps wants to act according to virtues, um, I could very easily talk myself into basically self abnegation, right? Like, oh well, it would be virtuous of me to be patient, not get a haircut, not go to the splash pad, not go to the restaurant because I know somebody else would, and because those things aren't necessary for me, they're not going to you know I'm not going to uh, 
be hurt or harmed by not going to the restaurant, by not going to the hair, give the haircut. I should le I should step aside and let somebody else do those things, even if they don't really need to, because then they get to since I'm not. Is that is that a problem? Of like basically, basically, I, basically, I'm putting sort of my Midwestern passive aggression into my ethical reasoning here, and I'm is that is yeah. is that a problem? Exactly. That is kind of a problem because Aristotle says that the virtue always lies in moderate action. Mm. Uh, well, with a couple of exceptions. So there's like no moderate amount of murder. Murder is categorically always wrong. Like you're not going to say well, three killings instead of 10. Mm -hmm. um, right. But for most actions, so take patience. Right. Patience is on a spectrum between impatient, where I never can kind of rein myself in and wait for something. But there can also be an excess of patience where maybe I become apathetic or I lack courage to actually go do something that I ought to be doing. Right. I, I use patience as an excuse for inaction. Um, and so absolute self-sacrifice doesn't fit well in a virtue system. There might be okay. times that you could get sacrifice in there. Um, it's kind of interesting because in a Christian way of thinking about it, humility is usually thought of as a virtue. Aristotle put humility as a vice. Now, part of that's semantic, but the idea is uh, the good life involves me living well or living excellently, which means I have to put some attention into my own good. Ultimately, I want to be a good citizen, a good person, because then I'm a good citizen and then we have a good society. But in order to do that, I am going to have to put something into myself. So, for example, I would not in the Aristotle system, give everything I have away to the poor because then I become a poor person that someone else has to give things to. So, yeah, I, I have to, yeah. I have to allow myself some good. Okay. So then the question becomes figuring out, am I kind of in that Aristotelian sense of uh, um, moderation in deciding where to get a haircut? So I'm not necessarily running out to do every possible thing, but does this fit within a moderate amount of social distancing, a moderate amount of social engagement? And then the question becomes, this sort of slips back to utilitarianism again, is um, what me, what does moderate mean, mm -hmm. right? So um, figuring yeah. out, uh, you know, I, and, this is, and this gets back to Sam's point of politics, where probably if, if the numbers tell us anything, the United States has been too profligate in terms of how quickly we've opened back up. And the infection rate seems to bear that out, um, if not the fatality rate. And so we're, we are spreading the, uh, the coronavirus much more rapidly than other European countries are because we've opened back up and we've opened back up too quickly and too, and too generously. And so perhaps it's ethical of me to say, regardless of what's permissible, I need to be more restrained in what I will do for my own assessment of community health standards. Right. And that goes back to Sam's example of just because you can be in a group of 10 doesn't mean everything you go you do is in a group of 10, right? right. It's sort of the, here's the limit, right? So mm -hmm. it's like the limit of, um, yeah, and I'm not saying this is good or bad, but right, like it's saying, okay, if a restaurant is going to be at 50% capacity, 
it would be ethically wrong for the restaurant owner to sneak in more people, right? right. At the same time, it that doesn't necessarily mean I ought to go to a restaurant. I may still pull back from that because that's sort of the the, the barrier. I think another thing that's really interesting in, in Aristotle is moral virtues cannot be separated from intellectual virtues and intellectual virtues mm. can't be separated from moral virtues. So part of this decision-making also means being rational and logical, educated about the data, you know, those kinds of things. And I think one of the things that's going to be really interesting in the next month or so is what does the data look like in Minnesota, where we're opening, but more slowly than say places like Arizona or Florida that are now, you know, cases are off the charts. And so I took my son to get a haircut. He had to get his temperature taken before he went in to get the haircut. We had to fill out contact tracing paperwork. Um, the person doing the haircut had on a face shield. He wore a mask the whole time. Mm-hmm. I mean, it might actually be the case that the spread of COVID in those kind of cases is so minimal that they, we actually find they aren't things that we have to you know, rem- refrain from participating in. Right. Um, but if we find that the numbers really are going up at this sort of increased level of interaction, then I do think we've got the social responsibility to think about, all right, maybe we need to uh, turn the dial back a bit, so to speak. Both at the policy level, where we actually say, okay, it's not 10 people, now it's five people, or or right. zero people, um, but also at the personal level of saying, regardless of what my state does or what the regulations are, I have an ethical responsibility to act as I perceive, whether it's virtue or utility. Um, yeah, it's really interesting too, because I think another part of this, um, because virtue ethics is teleological or kind of end focus. So what mm-hmm. the goal, right? Is my goal to prevent myself and my family from getting COVID? Is my mm-hmm. goal to flatten the curve? So it spreads, but at a rate that the medical system can manage, right? And and it's complicated because eradicating COVID probably isn't a reasonable goal. Just mm-hmm. keeping it from myself and my family seems a little bit to err on the selfish side of the goal. Mm-hmm. But then we're left with, you know, the science is always changing because it's such a new virus of the, well, what is the goal? Like how, how much... Um, COVID can a society tolerate? How much do we actually need to tolerate to get to a, a, a herd immunity? Well, let me ask you a question. So um, my assumption, my operating assumption has been that my responsibility as a member of the community, and I tell me if you tell me if this is communitarianism, but I'm not sure. Yeah. But um, my responsibility as a member of the community is to do my part to keep the medical systems of the community from being overwhelmed until we can come up with a solution like a vaccine that would create a more permanent sense of not being overwhelmed. So I, you're right, we can't get rid of coronavirus, we can't get rid of COVID. Um, even as we get to herd immunity, some people are still going to get it over time. Right. So, the, so basically the, the, the goal is just to keep the system from getting overwhelmed so that people don't unnecessarily suffer and die. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I have a responsibility to contribute to that, and that it, within my community because I'm a member of the community. Right. Yes, exactly. Yep. So that's a communitarian way of thinking, which often parallels with a virtue ethics system. Okay. So yeah, definitely. Right. So 
Um, it's really interesting because I was listening to Dr. Fauci the other day talking about the potential of a vaccine being available even by Christmas or January. Now, that's with some caveats because they're running the vaccine testing process, you know, more quickly than they normally would and being less rigorous on the testing of it. Yet, although if we find out, you know, that the various stages of testing have been successful so far, they're actually going to recommend to us that everybody get the vaccine as soon as it's available. There was a recent poll done that said that 25% of Americans say they won't get the vaccine because they're afraid of unforeseen consequences of it. And the problem with that is then we don't get the herd immunity, right? So we actually need 75 to 80% of people to get the vaccine in order for us to get over this hill. So that's kind of another interesting, like putting the community good ahead of the individual. Might I have a bad reaction to the vaccine? Uh, yeah, does that mean I shouldn't have gotten it? Not necessarily, right? Now, Sarah, have you been following the story about people, a petition to for people to join a challenge trial, a human challenge trial for the vaccine? Are you familiar no. with this? No. Okay, so the way that vaccine testing normally proceeds is that um, after, after we go through the initial rounds where we check and see if there's, uh, you know, any adverse reactions in animals, things like that, once we get to the human trial stage, some humans get a... Um, the vaccine and some humans are given a placebo and then they're basically sent to go live their lives. And then over time, we get a sense of whether or not the vaccine in those populations was effective at curtailing whatever they're trying to vaccinate against. But that takes some time because you've got to let people sort of naturally get exposed to the virus. A human challenge trial is different. A human challenge trial, after people are inoculated, exposes them on purpose to the virus. And so you are actively trying to get people sick. Um, this is not normally done. It's normally seen as unethical for obvious right, reasons. Right. Um, but there's a group of people, and the, and the petition has now reached close to, I believe, 100,000 people in the United States have signed up and said, I am willing to be intentionally exposed to coronavirus to speed the testing of a vaccine, to make it more readily available, and to, to determine whether or not it's effective. And, you know, basically they're saying, I'm, I'm young, I'm healthy. Even if I get sick, my chances of, of, this, of this being fatal are very low. Please, please let this happen. It's not clear whether this will actually happen or not, because the people who would be doing the testing may find the legality of even volunteers being really problematic. So, but, but this is a level of virtue, I guess, that goes yeah. well beyond my decision whether to get a haircut or not. These are people sort of actively engaged in a community-based behavior, which is, strongly against their individual self egoistic self-interest, right? Right. Exactly. And it's it's interesting because I think there's that could be seen very much for example as exhibiting the virtue of courage. Um, yeah. you know, for the sake of the common good. Um the degree to which it would be interesting because um Aristotle would say we can't always say the same action is required for each person. So if a person chooses to be virtuous in that way, that does not necessarily mean I'm obligated to be virtuous in the same way. There are other ways that I could exhibit courage for the benefit of the common good, for example. But there's certainly to me, at least from Aristotle's perspective, doesn't seem to be anything problematic <laughs> ethically mm -hmm. with that 
also from a utilitarian standpoint, uh, that you know, if you're you're choosing people who are low risk anyways, um, that would seem to outweigh. Uh, you know, the potential harm to those people seems to outweigh the good that would be accomplished if they were willing to make that sacrifice. Okay. But uh, I do think the ethics rely also on the fact that it would have to be voluntary. If we, yeah. any, you know, any, at any point we're forcing people to do this, we're no longer in an ethical, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I find, that, that's why I find very intriguing about this was that there were so many people who are willing to undertake this essentially self-harm or at least potential self-harm for some kind of community good. Mm -hmm. um, for someone like a Kantian motives are really important. So if your motive is that you want to be seen as a hero, then then oh. we're going to take you your ethical card, right? Because like you're <laughs> doing it for uh -huh. the common good or simply because it's your duty to do the right thing. If you're doing this for the purpose of heroism, um, yeah, then then you've kind of undermined yourself. No, sure. utilitarian doesn't care what your motives are, but there are systems that are going to say, well, whether or not that's ethical is also going to involve the person's motives for signing up. And and that's a good point. And so, getting a haircut um, is a lot from a, that perspective, from a virtue perspective, is a lot better if I have my barber's welfare in mind, my community's welfare in mind, versus just my own ego. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, okay, one other question here. Uh, this is really helpful, but um, I have a, I, I, I'm hesitating to whether to tell the story or not. Okay, I'll tell it. Um, so Sarah, you and I both grew up in sort of the uh, Northeast Indiana, Northwest Ohio area. And uh, Sam will appreciate this because this is a pioneer story. Um, uh, there is a, uh, one of the bigger events in Williams County, which is where, Pi where Pioneer is located, is uh, on July 4th, it is, there's a parade which occurs in a very small town. There's, a, there's a, uh, uh, a town that's just a couple miles away from Pioneer. It has about 200 people in this little village, but the whole, the whole county shows up to this little 200 person town on July 4th for a 4th of July parade. Uh, band, uh, high school marching bands march, uh, local fire departments and police uh, departments put uh, shine up all their trucks and cars and roll down to the one street. Um, uh, local candidates for office uh, drive through on convertibles. It's a classic middle American parade. And this year, relatively late in the game, uh, they canceled it. They said, There's, this is too many people in too close proximity. We can't do this safely. And because I'm on a uh, social media page, which caters to the local area, I know that there is a lot of rancor about the cancellation. And there's a large group of people who are planning to hold the parade anyway. So the parade has officially been canceled, but there's a whole bunch of people who are planning on showing up on July 4th regardless and, and throwing sort of a, what they're calling a protest. Um, so they're throwing, they're going, they're going to have a mobile protest. Now, I don't want to get the legality of what you can and can't do on, on city streets and whether or not the police should get involved and actually detain people who are obstructing the roadway with an impromptu protest. That, I, that, that's, that's politically interesting to me, but not ethically interesting to me. What I'm wondering about is if I have family members who are thinking about going to a rogue parade, and I think this is a terrible idea from a, a public health perspective, what obligation do I have to try to get other people to behave virtuously in the midst of a pandemic? And if I have an obligation, how do I talk to them about it? Mm, boy, that's just a whole other can of worms. Um, <laughs> this kind of cracks me up because I feel like this would just be such a perfect episode for Park and Rec to take on. Um, 
but yeah, the, the idea of the rogue parade. Um, I think by and large, the idea of warning someone of potential harm is usually a, an ethical good. I'm trying really quickly to think of a time that it wouldn't be, and I'm having a hard time. I mean, there right. so might be a counter example, but by and large, warning someone about potential harm when you have information you know to do that with um an opportunity that that seems like that would be wrong like if you were standing in the middle of the street and a garbage truck was driving at you and i did not shout chris move right i would <laughs> we would hold me morally responsible for you being hit by the garbage truck sure or at least somehow you know some level of responsibility right so with that said i do think that um that we have that ethical obligation we certainly can't control what people do with that information and then we have the complicated also ethical good of maintaining healthy families and friendships with people who disagree with us um i tend to err on the side if somebody's going to disagree or be offended by your warning them of something that kind of ethical responsibility is on them Mm -hmm. um, if you did, you know, assuming you convey the information in an ethical way, not like, hey, yeah. you idiots, whatever, you know, <laughs> right. if you're right. ethical in your reason for passing on the information and how you do it, what people do with that information after that is really on them. But I think we're all living in a world right now where with politics, with race issues, with pandemics, we're all struggling to navigate these really difficult conversations. And I was talking to somebody the other day who's on um, like a parenting Facebook group and they have different views of public school, private school, mm -hmm. you know, um, stay at home mom, working mom. For years, they've all gotten along despite difference, but different responses to the pandemic has been what has broken the group. To wow. not be able to handle, I'm taking my kids to the splash pad, I'm not. And so there is this deep, and I think it's it's a deeply rooted kind of ethical disagreement or viewing a person who sees the issue differently from you as fundamentally you know, unethical or immoral in this particular situation that, um, people were also sensitive to one way or the other. Right. And part of that stems from the fact that we're treating these things not as um, uh, not as indications of uh, a momentary virtue, but as endemic to personality. That if right. you make this choice, you know, if I get my hair cut and you think that's a social ill, that that's a permanent a permanent uh, judgment on my uh, on my ethical reasoning, as opposed to trying to suss out a, a difficult ethical choice and maybe getting it right, maybe getting it wrong in the short term. Right. Yep. And so one of the ethical virtues that I um, would like us all to try to exhibit more in this pandemic is empathy. This mm -hmm. sort of ability, uh, whether it's kind of an attempt to give people the benefit of the doubt within reason, you know, but it's sort of a generosity of spirit in the sense that says we're probably not all going to get this right all the time. So we're going to be gracious with each other in how we navigate these things. And so long as, right, it's not someone being 
blatantly disregarding of the public good, um, that there is some room for different interpretations of what the good is in this situation. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's something that's been lost. Well, this has been really helpful. Um, I, uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't. I don't feel like I have all the answers, but it's helpful to know that there are some tools and some frameworks for coming up with with decisions that I can be at least comfortable that I'm I'm moving towards uh, um, making the correct kind of choices. Right. <laughs> no, exactly. And you know, and listeners know that my you know my closing line, which I will say in a minute, <laughs> is like. Uh, all right, like, let's go and do some good in the world this week. And I think that's the attitude, right? Like moral perfectionism ought not be our standard. But how do I be mindfully responsible of the common good of uh, my own care of self in the midst of really challenging time? And there's always ways that we can do, um, do good. Well, I'll just say as my way of signing off for this episode, um, Sai Vuong, uh, the proprietor of the original barbershop in Maple Grove, gives a great haircut at a reasonable price. Uh, check him out. And Sai, I hope to see you soon. <laughs> that sounds good. Uh, I have also recently had a haircut. Um, so I, a shout out goes to uh, Rue 48 in Golden Valley. <laughs> All right, Sam, anything that you want to say before we close this out? I would I, this was really, really helpful. I know we had some questions about like, well, is this is, is the initially it was is the haircut conversation enough of a conversation to do a podcast? And I really I was I really enjoyed listening to this. And I really do think this is a it's an important question. I mean, in, in the in, in thinking about um all of the ethics of, of reopening. So I think this is really helpful. I would say if you are listening to my voice right now and you have a question for Sarah Shady Public Philosopher, you should email us at channel3900 at gmail.com. Just like Dr. Moore here, he got his own episode because he had a question. You know, if you want to email us with questions, we can, uh, you know, we can maybe shape episodes around um, around things that you're wondering about in terms of how do we apply ethics and philosophy to the questions that we're facing. I would love it. That's why I am here. So thanks, friends, for joining me in this conversation today. Uh, let's all do some good in the world this week. Bye.